चल Now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just now as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Come. Now is the time to worship. Come, just is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all our soul and mind, gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come, 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 come. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, this stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient in the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
and you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that by your work, you have made us your children, and that those of us, we were set apart, we were different, we were not connected as a people, Lord, but in your blood and in your work, we are your people, walking together as part of the family of God. And Lord, we praise you for that great work. We thank you that you have provided this great mercy to us, and we ask, Lord, that we would continue to faithfully walk as your people, preserving under your name, persevering unto your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, wait. We get that change to his made me glad. Yes. We had a little change and forgot to let somebody know. Yes, we did. <laughs> okay, we ready. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will say this that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad.
All righty then. Not much here, just a couple reminders. We have church council today, so council members stick around. I'm told we are on a tight schedule, so no goofing off. We have things to do, and we'll get them done so that we can get everybody on time, right? <laughs> hey, hey. Hey, they, I'm the someone they didn't make the adjustments with, so, you know, I, I, I can complain today. <laughs> so there you go. Um, that means we'll have our business meeting next week, and I was asked if you guys could remember this week a friend of Terry's, Tim Daly, uh, has been sick, contracted COVID, and now is having all sorts of other health problems. So if you would remember Tim in your prayers, we would greatly appreciate it. So I, t I remembered one, so go team. Uh, anything else I'm forgetting because I didn't have a long list, and that always scares me when I don't have more stuff on the list. <laughs> it makes me think like something, something important is going on, and I'm not saying what it is. Uh, not this week, but I, I would ask Elizabeth because she spoke to him more recently than I did. But oh, Elizabeth had to go home today. She um, Elizabeth didn't tell us. She spent three days in the hospital last week. She's been having blood pressure issues, getting lightheaded. She was in Sunday school, and she said she was going to go home because she was starting to feel the way she felt last week, and they're still waiting to get it regulated. I asked her if she was okay to drive, and she said, yes, as long as she's sitting, it's fine. But since she's starting to feel it, she doesn't want to let it progress. So I told her she has to text me when she gets home. Because if not, I'm sending out a search party. So hopefully before the end of the service today, there's a message from Elizabeth. I'll leave my phone with Cameron so that she can check it during the service and go from there. But So just be in prayer for Elizabeth. And if I don't let you know at the end of the service that I got a message from her, everyone call her. <laughs> if you don't have her number, I will give it to you so we can all bug her so that she can be, be so she can learn to make sure she lets people know. Because like I said, she didn't tell us she was in the hospital. She wouldn't let her daughter call and let us know. She's like, no, no, they'll get it figured out. So there you go probably didn't want to bug us again because this is like the third time she's had to go for this and she's tired of dealing with it. So but if you remember Elizabeth, we'd appreciate it. Yes, thank you. It is. See, re read your bulletin. It will do you good. Just remember, we are back on our regular schedule, something we tried to start last year and then the world tried to end for nine months. So we weren't able to do it. So Every, last, every fourth Sunday, I can't say every last Sunday, because some Sundays have five, so every fourth Sunday, we're having lunch. Bring a dish, something people can share, and we're just doing that every fourth Sunday, we're having lunch. So there you go. You have been warned. I will probably have to keep telling you this for the next five years, So because I'll forget. <laughs> be like, Cameron, are we supposed to be doing something today, church? What's going on today? Oh, yeah. So there you go. All right. What took place just before the Sermon on the Mount? The selecting or calling of the twelve disciples. You guys all knew that, right? You went and you were such diligent people. You went digging through, read your Bibles, poured over all of that. I know, I should stop laughing, right? <laughs> now, why is that important? Because that's always the reason for the question. We want to make sure we cover the reason, not just fill your head with knowledge. Useless knowledge is just that, useless. I demonstrated useless knowledge today in Sunday school. I said all my books of the Old Testament in order. I'm very proud. I get a cookie. And I even tried to mess it up. So luckily Larry was there to correct me. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, that's how your Sermon on the Mount kicks off. Always remember in that sermon, Jesus is speaking to two groups. There is the crowd at large who is listening, but who is the primary audience? His disciples. Always remember this about Scripture. There is a general call in Scripture that is out for all of the world. That is why we, I tell you, know your Bible, read your Bible, be prepared to proclaim and defend your Bible. But ultimately, the message of Scripture is for who? The people of God. It's nothing has changed. That's why Jesus has to, before that sermon, he has to make sure he has the disciples, because how do you teach people that you don't have? 
<laughs> it doesn't typically work well, does it? No, not in the least. So that's why that is always included beforehand. So don't say it out loud. <laughs> it's an easy one. It's a super easy one, which means there's a really doubly important reason for it. Okay. What does epistle mean? And you're like, well, that's the simplest one you've ever asked, unless you don't know that one, in which case I'm not trying to insult you. Just you know. Again, reason for the question. These things have meaning, and understanding some of these terms actually help you understand and make sense of your Bible, especially the New Testament. So do the reason for your question. It will do you good. All right, last chance. Did I forget anything? Going once, going twice. Uh-oh. Oh, Jan's not feeling well. Is that what you're going to tell me? Yeah, I forget these things. Yeah, Jan, Mike is here and Jan is not. When was the last time that happened? <laughs> 53. Congratulations, you've been married longer than I've been alive. <laughs> I, I joked, I said, she gets a medal and you get a purple heart, right? Is that how that works? That's the joke that Mike has obeyed for years. Because he came in this morning, he goes, Jan's not feeling well. She's got a headache and a stomachache. I said, yeah, but you're here, so she's better now, right? Apparently not. So, yeah. So, be in prayer for Jan and congratulate them. We won't send them pictures. We won't send Jan empty chair pictures today. We only do that for Daryl. <laughs> Which... <laughs> I just want to say thank you to everyone that sent Daryl a picture of an empty chair for missing church on Easter Sunday. He greatly appreciated all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Called me after the service. What did you do? Make an announcement? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> I made an announcement. Mike made a sign, and there was a line of people to take pictures of the sign to send it literally from people in their 30s to people in their 80s. That's... No, 80s not quite in his 90s yet. He's in his mid-80s. But yeah, that was my favorite is that 80, who's 85, 86 years old, was like, he's over there. <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm here for this. See, this, this is the New Testament accountability that we're always talking about. <laughs> this is how we have fun. So, all right, read your questions, read your bulletins, all the good information is in there. And again, reminder, it's in bold on the bottom, but... We try to keep a running directory with phone numbers and addresses that are up to date. And I know with cell phone carriers, sometimes you can't keep your number when you change and things. If for whatever reason you change your number or anything like that, let us know. It's just helpful if something happens, you know, the world ends, I get arrested, something stupid goes on. You know, we want to be able to let folks know that stuff is happening. So if you get an update on your address or on your phone number, just let us know so we can keep up with it, okay? Yay. I'm going to stop talking so we continue on with useful things. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saved, Jesus saved, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saved, Jesus saved, bear the news to every land, climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward is our Lord command, Jesus save, Jesus save. 
Walk it on the rolling tide. Jesus save, Jesus save. Tell to sinners far and wide. Jesus save, Jesus save. Sing ye islands of the sea. Echo back the ocean waves. Earth shall keep her jubilee. Jesus save, Jesus save. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus save, Jesus save. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus save, Jesus save. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory. Jesus save, Jesus save. This our song of victory. Jesus save, Jesus What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as no, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, 
precious is a flow that makes me white as snow. No other bound I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, talk about fun things, fun weird things that music can do to you. Cameron walked up to grab my phone, started singing, and for whatever reason, the exact pitch that she sang, I felt it in my ear, and all of a sudden, my bottom lip started to tingle, and it's like, it itches, and it won't stop. I'm like, you have to change pitch. She's like, what? Like, I can't stop twitching. <laughs> she sang just a little bit higher, and it's like, okay, thank you. So, I know I'm weird and all, but there's, there's weird stuff you don't account for in a day. If my wife hits just the right pitch, my face doesn't work. See, I had to tell myself that's what it is, because the alternative is what? I've been stung by a bee or I'm having a stroke, and you know? <laughs> so, yeah, she walked up to grab my phone so she wouldn't forget it, and so that way if Elizabeth sends a message, we can, we can know. But I'm, so, yeah, I'm like, you've you got to stop doing that. <laughs> Oh, see, whatever brain cells I thought I had this morning, gone, right there, just gone. So, something we can make sense of, we are back to the work of Exodus, we are in Exodus 17. Since we have been away for two weeks for Easter and Palm Sunday, recap, yay! So, we have crossed the Red Sea after grumbling and complaint from the people of Israel. We have had the waters of Marah cured by God after grumbling and complaint from the people of Israel. We have seen manna and meat provided by God after grumbling and complaint from the people of Israel. We observed the Sabbath without grumbling and complaint from the people of Israel. We got one! Go team! Right? Yep, no. We should be good every time you get to the place in your Old Testament you're like, they've got it. They understand it. We're going to be on the right track. <sighs> yeah, the train goes off the rails, off the cliff, fiery car crash. There are no survivors. So that is where we get to be today in Exodus 17. Once again, though, I promise you, things that make sense to help you understand your Bible are contained in all of these Old Testament passages. That's one of the advantages of going through them. That is hopefully one of the things we'll be able to highlight today relatively quickly in this section. So before we go any further, let's read all seven verses. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, 
and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? (sighs) Almost like nothing good happens to this stuff. All right. Back to the beginning. I promise there is more there than meets the eye. Like like Transformers from the 80s here. Sorry, I now have that theme song stuck in my head. I I will spare you by not singing it, though. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord. We are back to the beginning, verse 1. There, computer's not cooperating. There it is. Now, reminders right off the bat. Why are they traveling? Who is leading? Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is not new for the Israelites in the Exodus either. If you rewind back to chapter 13, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Every morning when you wake up, sun rises, there is a pillar of cloud. Every night when you go to bed, the sun has set, there is now a pillar of fire. God has not abandoned. Just just think about this. Forget the Red Sea, forget the manna, forget the quail blowing in, forget all of this. Forget the waters of Marah, forget all of that. Every day, there is a pillar from God in the camp. Not some days, not on the bright and shining days, not on the cloudy, every single day, cloud, fire. We are a spectacular people when it comes to how well we will convince ourselves of things, aren't we? I mean, can you imagine being around the pillar of cloud and fire every day and it just be like, eh, it's there, whatever. Eh. Is God really in the camp as verse seven of this chapter? What do you mean, is he real? Fire, cloud, when it goes up, it leads, we pack up camp, we follow. When it settles on a place, we make camp here. This is how we travel. God is leading the people and taking them everywhere that they have gone. Please don't ever forget that. So according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. All right, because I know I have at least one geography wonk in the congregation who loves these things. <laughs> it's far, and I even pointed a finger at him. But like, Denny can't see that I pointed a finger at you, so... <laughs> Oh, I know you knew that. All right, this is modern-day Wadi Theran. You can actually go there. It is a Bedouin oasis in the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, for years, if you traveled, the Bedouins enjoy travelers. You can stay for three days. If you stay longer than three days in one of their tents, they get mad at you because you're imposing. <laughs> so, but you could actually make your pilgrimage through the Sinai Desert, and the Bedouins would put you up and slaughter a lamb and have a dinner, and it's a little party. They are about 30 miles as the crow flies. It's kind of tough because when you do this on Google Maps, they want you to follow roads, and I doubt the Israelites are following too many modern roads. So 30-ish miles from where they currently are to Mount Sinai. They are only 18 miles from the Red Sea. So it's like they're a good day's walk away from the Red Sea if they really hooked it. 
and that's even with this large crowd. So they have not traveled that far. This is where we are. And there was no water for the people to drink. Now, you're just shocked by this, aren't you? Shocked and astounded, unless you've been paying attention to everything that has come before and everything that will come after. I want to give you a reminder from a long section in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because we know the end half of this, and sometimes we like to forget where it's built on. Now, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act as immorally as some of they did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Paul is talking about the events of Exodus. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That happens in Numbers. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. There's a lesson here, and Paul connects it for you. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. That's an echo of proverbial wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. That's what's going on right here. Once again, when they got to Mara, they walked out into the wilderness, and there's no water because we can't drink this. What do we do? Well, gee, you just watched God part the Red Sea. You just watched him crush the Egyptians, the most powerful army on the earth. You just watched the plagues. What do you think you might want to try? You might want to try calling out to God and be like, hey, we need water down here. So you just had that. You've walked along. You've had the, you've had the manna. Again, keep this one in mind. While the pillar of cloud is there, guess what's on the ground every morning? Manna is on the ground. Every morning, let me, except Saturday mornings, but every other morning, it's on the ground, and on Friday, you get double patched, so you don't have to worry about Saturday mornings. Every day, you're eating piles of food because God is providing it. So you get to this place, and there's no water. Now what? Great. Now we get to die. Good job, Moses. This is why, again, I've said my new favorite Bible verse is Exodus 32.9. I have seen these people, and behold, they are a stubborn people. This is what it looks like. This is what proving looks like. This is, again, what is built upon in the New Testament. Go to places like 1 Peter 1. In this you greatly rejoice. The this, by the way, is the exposition of the gospel, the, the, the reward reserved for you in heaven. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do you know you have faith to stand up under trials? You stand up under trials. You want a good modern example? Just because I like to keep up with some of the things that are going on in our world. I've mentioned a couple times the, uh, is it Grace Life Church? Is it, is it, Lou, help me out here if you remember. Is it Calgary? Are they in Calgary? Is Grace Life and James Coates in Calgary? So Calgary is in Alberta, so I know it's, okay, so it's at least Alberta. Um, James Coates was in jail for 35 days because he had church. (laughs) I said, stop having church and we'll let you out. No, I'll wait. So they let him out and he went back. They had church last Sunday because it was Resurrection Sunday. They were having church. Monday morning, guess what showed up? 
not just a few of them, a fence. They actually barricaded the church. Last I've heard, guess what they were planning on doing this morning? They're planning on having church. And so what's going to happen? I have no earthly idea. How do you know you'd be willing to look at the government and say, no, 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 I'm going to church. I don't care what you say. Because they get a chance to do what? Look and say, I'm going to church. I don't care what you say. Trials and difficulties reveal your character. They reveal your faith. Israel is being tested. You're put out here for the second time with no water so that you can do what? You can demonstrate your trust and faith in God. So, with all of that said, verse 2 begins with, Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Again, I understand the request. I mean, this is a legitimate request. We need water, right? We would like some water. Do you get to argue about it and demand it and threaten Moses? <laughs> like, if there's one guy on the planet at this point, if you're Israel, that you shouldn't be threatening, do you, do you think it's the prophet and guy who speaks with the authority of God might be the guy you don't want to argue with? See, you would think that, but they don't. Now, question. What for Israel, as they're quarreling and grumbling and demanding, what is in charge for them? I actually think the answer is found in the New Testament. It's found in the wisdom of the New Testament in the book of James. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. There's the question right there. You ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you asked with wrong motives their thirst their desires their flesh is what is in charge who is supposed to be in charge once again you can draw a direct line to your new testament matthew chapter 6 do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need these things but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. There's a difference. Do you spend your entire life worried about all the cares and concerns of this world? No. Do you spend your life not paying attention to anything in this world like the ostrich with his head in the sand? No. You should be aware. You should be wise in the world. But do you allow them to shape who you are and how you live? No. God's righteousness The pursuit of his kingdom is what should shape who we are and how we live. If you'd like a negative example of that, read the book of Exodus. It will do you good, and you will see it over and over and over. I have said this before. I will say it again, and I will expand on it. If you would like to understand the prophets of your Old Testament, understand the work of God in redemption in in, in, in. Exodus. I got stuck between Exodus and Egypt, and once you get those two words in your brain, you can't get them both out at the same time. You got to pick one. Understand the work of God in Exodus as we're doing here, and you will make sense of the prophetic calls away from sacrifice and to a repentant heart, away from the rote religion of the temple, and to a circumcised change relationship with God. There is nothing new under the sun. What are you seeing here? The people whose hearts and minds are rotten because they are not focused upon God and the promises that he has given. They are focused upon themselves and what they think they deserve and can obtain in this world. Conversely, if you would like to make sense of your New Testament, 
understand the work of God in redeeming his people, both in Christ in the New Testament and in the Exodus in the Old Testament, because they are one and the same work. Ecclesiastes is right when it says there is nothing new under the sun. God does not deal with this group of his people one way and today's group of his people in another. He deals with his children in the same manner. He tests them. He tries them. He purifies them. Big fancy theological word is sanctification, the act of making you holy, the act of getting you away from the desires of the world and to the desires of the eternal kingdom. That is what he is about. That is the business he is engaged in. So we do get a good example here. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? That actually helps us understand this. If I told you, do not put the Lord your God to the test, where does that come from? I would accept two answers. No, Matthew would be one answer. Luke would be the other answer. What event is that from? Come on, they made a bad movie with Willem Dafoe about it. <laughs> it's the temptations. See, don't you remember the last temptation of Christ, the blasphemous movie where Jesus gets married? Don't watch it. It won't do you good. I've never actually seen it. I just read synopses. I'm sorry? Okay, yeah, but Willem Dafoe has blue eyes in it or something. That makes it good. <laughs> Luke chapter 4. Satan led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is also said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Notice that argument. Those are two Old Testament quotations. Satan's comes from Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Jesus's comes from Deuteronomy 6, 16. Again, Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test and quotes Deuteronomy. What's Deuteronomy? Why is the book of Deuteronomy there? It is Moses's final speech to the Israelites where they are getting ready to enter the land and he spends an entire book, 34 chapters going, this is who you are and this is why you are this people. Now please, for the love of all that is holy, live like you are God's people. And part of that is things like, don't put the Lord your God to the test. You've done this before and it didn't work out for you. Follow after God. The way the book of Revelation would put it would be things like, bow the knee. Surrender yourselves. Repent of your sins. Good gospel presentation. Turn from your iniquity and your wickedness and trust in Christ. Same concept all the way through. If you'd like to understand your Bible, understand the work that God is doing in redeeming his people. Jesus can quote that because he's talking about redemption, because Christ is about the work of redemption. Now, is what Satan said about God and his angels wrong concerning Christ? The answer is no. God will protect his anointed one until the appointed time, and then God will preserve him and, and he will persevere. Is what Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy wrong? The answer is no. They're both right quotations. What separates the two? <laughs> one is in submission to the will of God, and one is in rebellion to the will of God. One is Satan and one is Christ. You should be able to tell which one is which. The temptations that Satan is offering are not things that Christ could not attain. Christ had all of those things. 
He was going to have all of the things that Satan promised him. What Satan was attempting to give him was a way to achieve them other than the cross. Other than the cross. Hey, you're going to get all that stuff. I know that, but look what you got to go through to get there. Look, I'll just give it to you right now. Forget him, follow me, and look what we can have. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Nothing new under the sun. Not a stinking thing. This is why Paul, when he's dealing with this, can rightly say this, 2 Corinthians 12. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What preceded Christ's temptation? Right before he, right when Satan comes to him, what has been going on before that? He was led out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he did not eat. You ever been hungry? <laughs> You'll do dumb things when you're hungry, won't you? We literally had an ad campaign like this when I was a kid. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Remember those stupid commercials? You'd be like, I'd stand in my head like a clown. <laughs> I never understood those because I've had Klondike bars. They're not that good. We do this now. You're not you when you're hungry. Have a Snickers. We understand this concept. When you, when you need food, you are not the same person. When you are weak, you are tempted to operate on the basis of what? What I want. What I need. Give me what I need. God will when you actually need it and when it is actually proper for you to have it. That's the difference. Christ is weak so that he may be strong. How is he strong in the face of temptation? Because he's leaning where? He's in God. Trusting in the provision, quoting the scriptures, trusting in the will of God, walking faithfully in the face of trials and temptations. That's why Hebrews can say, tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. Paul isn't coming up with a new idea. He's looking at the example of Christ. Look, Give me insults, give me weakness, give me strife, give me trials, give me strife, give me all the difficulties of this world, because the more you throw at me in this place, the more I look to the place that is to come and the strength that God has given me. When I am weakest here is when I am strongest in him. Once again, where are all the trials for Israel? Confronting what? Their flesh. We're hungry, we're thirsty, we're tired. Uh, they're four-year-olds on a bad road trip, and it just doesn't end well. So the people thirsted, verse 3. There, they thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I will spare you the bad Scarlet O'Hara impression for a third time, because you know it goes here, right? I mean, this is what it is. There's no drama. There's nothing to see here, folks. Move along, move along, move along. Always remember... Sometimes you have to get what you think you want in order to understand what you actually need. What I mean by that is, sometimes like your kids are like, I want this, I want this, I want this, and you're like, no, no, no. You know what? Fine. You want it so badly here, and then when they realize what? It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't that good. We do this all the time. I, I, I always joke, the greatest example of this as an adult are what I call the sadness cookies at Walmart. Because they look so good and they taste like sadness. And some of you are going to laugh at me for this. They come out, I'm sorry, just smack my microphone. They come out at every holiday. 
They're those little shortbread cookies with the frosting on them. They sell them in the little clamshell plastic. They look so good. They've got their, like, this little white cookie, their little shortbread cookie. They've got all this frosting on them and a couple sprinkles. And you look at them in the package because at Easter they're yellow. And at St. Patrick's Day they're green. And at Christmas they're red and blue. And, and, and they've got a different cookie for every season. The bakery shoves them out hand over fist. And they look amazing. And we buy them, like, four times a year. And then you bite them. And you know what they taste like? Styrofoam that's been salted and covered in frosting. And I'm like, but they look so good. They don't taste like anything. So every time they show up in my house, I refer to them as the sadness cookies. Because that is all that they bring. They look amazing. And then it's like. And then I'm depressed because it's like, I wanted a cookie and I got a cookie and it was nothing. That's the world. That's what Satan's promising. Look at all the kingdoms. Command the stones to be bred. Do all of these things. He's offering him the sadness cookie. You can have it, but you'll walk away from God to get it. This is what the Israelites are continually doing. They are looking for the wrong thing. And therefore, God deals with them sometimes in a way that is in accord with how they are thinking. If you'd like an example of this from the New Testament, the parable of the talents. So the master goes on a long journey. He gives five talents, he gives two talents, and he gives one talent, right? The guy with five does business, makes five more. The guy with two does the same thing. What's the guy with one do? He came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And how does the master deal with him? Oh, so you knew I'm wicked and mean and a bad guy, so you did nothing? Now, is he a mean, wicked, bad guy? The answer is no. But if that's how you think of me, then that's how we'll deal with you. Always remember this. How you see the world colors everything that goes on in your world. How you think through the problems, the issues, whether good, bad, or ugly in this world is, is going to be determined by how you think this world operates, where you think it's going, where you think it came from, and why you're doing what you're doing. This is, again, why I am forever saying, Christian, anchored upon Christ, revealed in his word because if you don't the worldview of the world will drift and scatter and, and drag you along to places you do not want to be you ever looked at the world why don't they understand this they can't first corinthians 1 the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god doesn't make any sense. It can't make any sense. This is why I continue to say, what changes the hearts and minds of men? And the answer is God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, by the preaching of Christ and the proclamation of his word. If you want to change what people do, you have to first change what? The way they think. And if I want to change the way you think, I have to change what? I have to change what you want. See, this is why what, what we talk about on Sunday mornings doesn't make any sense in the world. What you're seeing is a depraved heart. We've seen all the miracles of God. And you know what? You know how much it's affected us? <clears throat> Not a bit. So that every time we run out of water, what do we start doing? Yelling and complaining and throwing a fit like an overgrown child. We talked about this on Wednesdays as we go through um, Samuel. Thank you. My brain wanted, I, kept, I had Corinthians stuck in my head. I said first and my brain went, Corinthians! No, no, wrong book. As we're going through 1 Samuel, and you're seeing all the idiotic decisions that are being made. And we keep pointing out, what's the first thing that goes in a people under judgment? And the answer is wisdom. 
You don't think. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been removed. The mercies of God, what we would call the common graces, they're just gone. I mean, when was the last time you listened to a politician? You're like, that is an intelligent, smart human being that I should do what they say. (laughs) See, you're laughing because most of the time you watch the news and say what? Do they smoke things before they come on? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Or when was the last time you heard any politician ask a question? And he answered it. It's like you're sitting there listening to him for like three, like it's like four words and a question, and like ten minutes later you're going, he's still talking. And did he ever actually answer the question? And no. And then one side goes, depending on what side of the aisle he's on and what side the news is on, oh, that was the most brilliant exposition of liberty I've ever seen. Or he's a fascist, and that's, you know, either way. There's, there's your politics. Why? Because it's all stupid. Why? Because we've lost sight of the foundation. We can't just say, this is right, this is wrong. This is why it's right, this is why it's wrong. We've lost that. We're unwilling to say that because we've lost wisdom. Why? Common grace. It's not there. We've removed the foundation of the world as built upon Christ in his revelation. Therefore, whee! Only it's not a fun ride. And that's what you're seeing. We're seeing it on Wednesdays as we go through 1 Samuel. You're seeing it in action here with the people in Exodus. It doesn't make any sense because they don't make any sense. Because they can't. What is needed? God is needed to change their hearts, to change their minds, to change the direction of their lives by a renewing of their minds, of their hearts, by a change in the Holy Spirit. Short of that, this is humanity every single time. Gimme! Gimme, 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 gimme! I mean, when you want to talk the history of socioeconomic systems, there, get to get to break out my bachelor's degree every once in a while and talk like I know something. When you talk about the history of socioeconomic systems, do you know what religious group invented capitalism? Christians. The Swiss. Comes out of Geneva and the uh, what later becomes Presbyterians and sort of quasi-Lutherans out of Switzerland. Comes out of the Protestant Reformation. Because what they looked at is they said, you know what motivates these people? Motivates to be successful. Everybody wants to be successful, right? I want to feed my family and not starve to death. That's a good thing. So what should we do? We should motivate businesses to create incentives to feed themselves and not starve to death and do the same thing for their employees. Now, what prevents the owner of that business from accumulating everything for himself and treating his employees like dirt? (laughs) No, there is something. God does. A commitment to what? Love of God and love of brother. Yeah, I care for you because you as my employee are working. You're, I am successful because of the work you're doing. Therefore, I do what? I reward that. Now, remove that concept of reward and love of neighbor, and why should I care about what happens to you? Get you out of here. Get another cog in the machine. Welcome to your modern labor market. The failure is not in the system. The failure is in the heart of the people engaged in the system. Always has been always will be until we attack the right thing no economic policy no politician no law no executive order nothing changes anything until we change the hearts and minds of the people behind them this is the work that the church is supposed to be engaged in this is the discipleship that we are supposed to be doing day in and day out of ourselves of our families so that as your kids and grandkids go to school, they bring a worldview and a foundation to bear upon the world. They bring the cornerstone and plant it firmly in the middle. Because what are the options? Either it's the cornerstone of your building or it's what? As we read this morning in 1 Peter 2, 
It is the rock of offense, the one that shatters. That smooth stone from Daniel 2 that's cut out and shatters all the kingdoms of the world. Those are the only two options. And if we're not actually building that foundation in our lives, we can't actually bring it into the world at large. Starts at home and starts working out. Where are we? We're in verse 4. <laughs> I got to hop off my soapbox. Okay. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more and they'll stone me. Right response by Moses here. First Peter 5 again. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Intro to the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. How many of us know the couple of verses beforehand? When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is why if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter who's praying. Doesn't matter if you think your prayers are good. Newsflash, all of our prayers are terrible. <laughs> They're all rotten. Why? Because they come from rotten people. What makes them good? Christ makes them good. Christ who intercedes for the Father. Not on behalf of what we ask, in case we ask with wrong motives, but on behalf of what we need, according to the need of the hour, according to the mercies of his kingdom. Remember what we read in Corinthians earlier. When you're tempted, there's always what? There's a way of escape. I got news for you. You know what sometimes the way of escape is? Death at the hands of the angry mob. Sometimes that's a way of escape. What if the test is for Moses? Man, this is an angry people, and they're not going to take no for an answer. They're not going to take water for an answer. What are you going to do? Be faithful. Proclaim the mercies of God and the trust in him. What if they stone me to death? And proclaim the mercies of God and the trusting in him. If you think this doesn't have corollary, what if they put a fence around your church? <laughs> These things matter. Again, with, for years, do you know what the largest growing, uh, the, the nation with the largest growing Christian community has been for the last 20 years? China. It's illegal. They're rounding them up as we speak. Give the Chinese credit. They are equal opportunity haters. They hate everybody. They're, they're, wind, they're rounding, if I could speak English. They're rounding up the Muslims. They're rounding up the Christians. They're rounding up everybody. Everybody. I think, unless you're part of the three-self church, you're done for. And even if you get approval, they'll still tear, tear your building down if they don't like you. It's fun, aren't they? Still, the largest growing congregations are in China because the church does what? The Holy Spirit works his work and the people gather, and they face persecution. Christianity had some of its most exponential growth in the first three centuries in the Roman Empire when they were predominantly illegal. You can't gather. How do we have churches? <laughs> How do we have congregations? How do we have pastors and bishops and people over congregations and knowing where they are? Because the people still gathered, regardless. Sometimes that's the way of escape, but the call is always the same. Faithfulness. So, Moses has a good response. <clears throat> God has a good answer. The Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. All right. If you're not paying attention, you will miss the significance of what's going on here. This is a trial. The people are the witnesses. The elders are the jury slash judges. They have to make the decision. 
Moses is the authority, the one who gets to bring the charges and mete out punishment when it is necessary. Hence the staff, the symbol of authority. Everything Moses has done in the Exodus has been connected to what? Either himself or that stick that he's been carrying. You wave it over the land and the frogs come. You wave it over the sea and the, and the, and the sea splits. Everything has been done with that. We are setting up a trial. Now, who should be on trial? Who's done something wrong that they should be on trial? The people. For everything that they've seen, for all that God has done, for all the mercies that he has provided, they're over there going, we want water. We want meat. We had meat in Egypt. We're going to starve. We're going to thirst. We're out to the edge of the sea. The God who turned the Nile to blood and brought the frogs and brought the hail and killed the firstborn and did all of those things. What are we going to do? We can't beat the Egyptians. Uh, is that voice annoying enough for you guys? I'm trying to make sure I get it as annoying as possible. All right, good deal. <laughs> they should be on trial. Are they on trial? No. We're passing before the people with the elders. They're the witnesses. So, verse 6. Behold. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Behold, I always tell you guys, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word behold, what should you do? Stop, slow down, something important is coming. Behold doesn't even cut it here. Like I, I, I can't read that behold with enough emphasis here to explain what is going on. Exodus chapter 14, if we rewind, something else we need to be reminded of as we're going through this. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. See, if you're just reading your Bible rapid fire style, you might miss a detail like that and realize that as Egypt, as Egypt, as Israel is leaving Egypt in the Exodus, see, too many vowels and especially E's there, ties my brain in and out. We always remember the pillar of cloud and fire. We mentioned it earlier. But as they're walking, the angel of the Lord is walking at the head of the group of people. All right, we have done this before a thousand times, but it's always worth repeating. Who is the angel of the Lord? It's what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So when you go back in your Bible, you do not see the glory of Yahweh. The only, the closest you're going to come to it in your Old Testament is Exodus 30, oh, I should have, I should have studied for this one. Uh, Exodus 34, where he passes before Moses and Moses is hid in the cleft of the rock. That's the closest you see where the glory of the Lord passes by. What you see throughout the Old Testament is that people continually are interacting with God, but he appears how? Like, a, like well, they call it an angel because what's the closest description we've got? We know it's not a guy, but it kind of looks like what? It kind of looks like a guy. So when you see in the garden, so uh, Adam and Eve have covered themselves with the, the fig leaves, right? Before they leave, God covers them with an animal skin, which means God in the garden slaughters an animal, makes, skin, makes skins out of the animal, and covers them with clothing. Now picture this, and when you see that in your brain, if I describe that, I know I did it quickly, but are you describing like the rabbit just being sacrificed in midair and no one touching it? <laughs> no, someone's got to be doing that. Who is that? That's the Christophany, the appearance of Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, you see what's known as the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, excuse me. I need water and I left it on the other side. The angel of the Lord speaks with the authority of God. It operates, I say it, he operates with the power of God, but he is not 
associated with God. Does that make sense? It's a prefiguring of what we would explain from the New Testament as the Trinity. So you have Yahweh in heaven, represented by the Father, commanding. But you have Yahweh on earth, appearing as a man. We don't get this. The, de the, definite, the description that's given is the angel of the Lord. Um, other appearances, places like um, Genesis 19, well, Genesis 18, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is there, and what happens? Three men come into his camp. One of them is God, but he's a dude. Christophany, angel of the Lord. That's why at the end, Abraham and God are talking, overlooking the valley, and what happens? The two angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. So you see this draw, Genesis 32. Jacob wrestles with someone. Well, in order to wrestle with someone, he has to actually be a... Hey, someone's got to be somebody there. Angel of the Lord. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament. That is going on with Israel in the Exodus. Hence the punchline at the end of this. How do we know if God is in the camp or not? He's literally <laughs> standing. There's the pillar, but there's also the angel of the Lord, Yahweh in flesh, standing in the camp leading the people, protecting the people, guiding and instructing the people. Now, as that is going on, he is going to stand upon the rock. The people are the witnesses. The elders are the judges. Moses is the one with the authority. He is the executioner, so to speak. Who's being put on trial? No, they're not. God is. God stands upon the rock. What gets struck to provide the water? The Isaiah 53, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, and yet we, esteemed, we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Who's guilty here? The people are. They're grumbling and complaining and not trusting in God. Who's getting smacked around? God is. There is nothing new under the sun. That's why go back to that 1 Corinthians 10 reference. We talk about these things happened as an example to us. Paul's talking about the Exodus, where he's talking about the temptation. There will be a way of escape. The lead into that chapter, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Our fathers were all under the cloud. And they all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What's he talking about? It's about the parting and the pillars leading, right? All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. This is a redeemed people because of the work of Christ the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And in case they had forgotten it, God, when they are guilty, bears their punishment in the wilderness and provides life-giving water so that they do not thirst to death. What they do not deserve, they receive. What they do deserve, Christ receives. We have a phrase in my line of work that I despise. That'll preach. <laughs> I despise that phrase because you know what it typically means when somebody says that'll preach? Something stupid usually comes flying out of their mouths next. In this case, no. This is the story of Scripture. 
God redeeming sinful people, not through their works, through his, not through their deserving work, but because of his unparalleled merit and goodness. Hence, why do we stand? Because Christ, where we put it, we move, see, I always point over there, Look, put it front and center for Easter, right? Why do we stand? Because the, the scourging that's due to me was where? It's upon Christ. I, sheep, have gone astray. But the shepherd has done what? Done the work to bring me home. Therefore, I am changed. And I can't do it in my power. This is the proof from Exodus. Go ahead. Go be fruitful. Live your life. Do everything you think is right in the sight of God. How does that always end for humanity? <laughs> That's a technical term, by the way. So what are we granted? This is what Corinthians also talks about. You have a down payment, a security on your salvation, the Holy Spirit indwelling, guiding, redeeming, strengthening. How do I stand firm? How have Christians throughout the ages stood firm in the face of trials? Because the Holy Spirit's like, no, you don't get to run away. This is where we're walking. You're like, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to, but okay. I mean, Moses, how many times does Moses like, I just want to be rid of these people. Okay, don't kill them, God. <laughs> This is how this works, is God accomplishes. Even my good works are ordained by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even my goodness in this world is strengthened and provided by God in his glorious work. So, that brings us to verse 7. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That, that may be the snottiest question in all of Scripture. He's literally standing right there. And you're like, well, is he here or what? Whatever. Don't ask me why that accent came out for that. I think it's a requirement. If you're going to do a whatever, you can't just be like, whatever. You'd be like, whatever. Literally, the words Massah and Meribah mean testing and contending. We mentioned it already. If I told you contending with God, what event in your Old Testament should you think of? Where do you really see somebody contending with God? Genesis 32. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, that is so messed up because English does us no favors here. When this man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I always love that Jacob gets credit for out-wrestling God. You ever been in a wrestling match? <laughs> I was never a wrestler, but I was a defensive lineman once. <laughs> Imagine wrestling or being, I was a defensive tackle. I went to a small school, and I was probably about 30 pounds heavier than I am right now. So my goal, because I'm nice and low to the ground, look, I'm short and I'm fat in, in school, so because I can get nice and low to the ground, you know what you can't do once I get myself in a nice three-point stance? You can't move me. And that was my job, is just line up over the ball and just make a dog pile right here. I don't care what happens on the rest of the field, just nothing goes right here. And it was great. My job was so easy. If the ball went that way, the linebackers got yelled at. My, oh, it's the greatest job ever. Just make a dog pile. Don't have to make any ground. I just have to, go, I just have to not go backwards. Imagine trying to do that job with a dislocated hip. <laughs> you won't be able to see this on camera, which is probably a good thing, but imagine with a dislocated hip getting here. <laughs> That's not happening, is it? What am I going to do? All right, hold on, guys. I got it. 
I got it. All right. You can snap the ball now. I'm ready. <laughs> so imagine you've got to wrestle with someone and fight with them with one leg. What is Jacob doing at the end of this fight? Is he wrestling with God? No. He's holding on for dear life. It's like a boxing match when one of the guys gets winded. What does he do? <laughs> Stop hitting me for a minute. <laughs> And they go into the clinch, and then the referee's got to separate him. And then the guy, as soon as they get separated, if he's still, still too winded, what does he do? He grabs right back on. Same thing that Jacob's doing right here. I got no hip left. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to hold on for dear life. Hosea gives you the best explanation of how Jacob wins this fight. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. And he found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Men, at the end of the fight... One is crying and one is not. Who won the fight? <laughs> Typically, which one? The one who's not crying. What were Jacob's weapons against God? Tears and supplication. Repentance. Yeah, it's a picture of the work of God in salvation. It's a picture of the surrendering of the coming to God, forsaking the strength, forsaking the desires of the flesh, forsaking all of the things that the world has to offer and doing what? Resting in him and his provision. I got news for you. Not a thing has changed. Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. James 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I can't do that. So James continues, Be miserable, mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. We come to God how? In the pride and strength of our lives? No. Recognizing our brokenness, our sin and our iniquity, and his great provision. We come humble, and we allow him to lift us up. And then what do we do? We walk faithfully, knowing what? That what he has been faithful to accomplish up till now, he will be faithful to deliver in the end. Isaiah chapter 2. It will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, and will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. And many will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and will, and will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Why not? There won't be a need, because the cornerstone will be established. The rock cut without hands will smash the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom will be established, built upon his work, fulfilling his promises. We will be at peace with one another. Why? Because we first are at peace where? With God. That's what Christ promises. I give you peace, not as the world gives peace, but a peace that surpasses all understanding cleanses the heart, changes the motivations, renews the mind, and puts a people to work built upon the foundations of Christ, his mercy, his grace, and his work unto a kingdom that he is building.
none of us, and all of him. That's the breakdown here. This is trying to be all of them and none of God. And the temptation of the world is the same. It was a temptation that Satan gave to Christ. Look, you can have all of it. Just do it a different way. And Jesus says no. You can summarize Jesus with something we mentioned in Sunday school this morning. You could summarize Jesus' words to Satan in that temptation with this. You do what you want. But as for me, I will serve the Lord. Everything in this world wants to pull you in a different direction. This is again why I say you have to be secure and understand because the world never gets easier and the darkness never is satisfied with losing to the light, ever. And where's our war? What are our weapons? Faith, hope, love, the word. What do we wield against the world? If that church gathers today in Canada, do I want them going out there yelling insults and spitting at people? No. What do, we, what do we want them to do? We want them standing out there, reading their Bible, singing songs, praising God, and saying what? If you're going to arrest us, you're going to have to arrest a group of peaceful people doing what? Worshiping God and doing what they've been called to do by their great king. And if we're not willing to do that, then we're trying to do it the world's way. And you know what's going to happen? Again, technical theological term. It doesn't work. But when God's work is done, God's way, according to God's plan, what's the result? Joy, peace, hope, love, all the fruits of the Spirit, because the Spirit is doing the work. Christian, that is where we have to rest. And we have to rest there because we're His. And this is the work that we're engaged in. Anything else is a forsaking of that. That can't be where we rest. So we read, we pray, we study, we encourage one another, and we hope knowing that when the time comes, he will give us the mercy that we too can stand firm. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the peace that you have given to us, the security that you have provided, that no matter what befalls us in this world, we are safe and we are home in you. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be uplifted, that our spirits would be strengthened, and that our minds would be renewed that we would walk faithfully, knowing your word, doing the work of discipleship that you called us to, that we would be your people, called by your name, walking faithfully according to your plans. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth. Choose your the way from the earth to the cross. My death to be from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. 
Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. But death to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. All right, reminder, council, don't go far. We'll be a couple of things that'll be quick, though. Elizabeth did send us a message. She made it home about uh, 10, 15 minutes ago. She's waiting on her son to get there. She's feeling a little bit better, but she's just laying down waiting. So hopefully she'll get into the doctor this week and get that figured out what's going on. So, But she did make it home safely. So yay. Don't bug her. She's resting. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that you would guard us, that you would protect us and keep us in your word, that we would be your faithful people progressing towards your eternal home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.